Hey, g'day and welcome to the podcast of Bridgman City Church. We are a community of people seeking to know Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and Savior of every man and woman. In our gatherings at the moment, we are currently reflecting on the Apostle John's message of Jesus. Jesus' words are complete and they are perfect. And so they're a primary avenue into who He is. And we pray that this talk might be an encouragement to you as you seek to know Him for yourself. And we'd love to hear from you. If you're looking to know more or reach out, you can head to bridgemancity.church or join with us in Brisbane CBD on Friday nights. It might be a, a mood shift, but I always have to hold myself back from making some joke about this being an oversized phone, but I won't. I'm going to spare us tonight. Jess isn't here, so I could have, uh, but she always tells me I'm too embarrassing. Hey, welcome. Great to be here, seeing smiling faces, indifferent faces, happy faces. But it is great to be here worshipping, to be singing about Jesus, to be... Who, who liked that Ancient of Days song? What a, what a great song. I haven't heard that since, like, the 90s or something, um, but loved it. Recorded it and sent it to, if you know Dave Polson, he was a... I was going to say OG, I'm not that hip, but he used to go to Bridgie ages ago, sent him a video, he's like, look what we're doing tonight, and he was excited, but he's always excited if you know him, so <laughs> there's some people that know him. So if, you, if you've been with us, I think most people have been with us uh, for a little while, but we have been looking at the book of John, and this is our last week in it, and um, I thought I'd give us a little snapshot as to the purpose of this book, and, and we have, you've got to bear with us, we have said these things, I'm just reiterating because I kind of want to wrap it up. So this, this book was not like uh, a friend of a friend's cousin saw something and wrote these accounts. This was an eyewitness account. This was a friend of Jesus. He actually describes himself in the book because he authored the book as the one that Jesus loved. This man, um, he ate with Jesus. He drank with Jesus. He cried with Jesus. He saw him do all these incredible things. He saw him hung on a cross and he saw him resurrected to life. And he writes for us the purpose, and it's pretty clear we don't have to think too hard because he spells it out pretty explicitly in John chapter 20. And I'm going to read that for us now, the tail end there. It says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John writes all these things down that you and I here tonight the original hearers of the day, that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that through that active belief, through that taking the step of belief, we might actually experience life. And he says in, in John 10 there that this isn't some sort of, I guess, life that you settle for. It's not a book of rules. Now, that's what we call life now. It's actually life to the full. There's this implication, well, it's explicitly stated that there actually is no life outside of him. So tonight we're, gonna, we're, we're looking at that very last chapter, we're looking at John chapter 21. So I wanted to keep that purpose in mind. We, we look at this and we've been studying this for the entire year, as Dan said, that we might catch a vision of Jesus, that we might deepen our belief in Him, and then through that belief we might experience what it is to live our lives and live our lives to the full. So if you've got your Bibles there, I think it will come up behind us. We're going to read the entire chapter of John 21, so strap yourselves in. It's, it's not that big. It's not that big. But I'm going to read it to us. My, um, what would you call my tone? Docile? I don't know. I'm going to read it for us. John 21, let's do it. 
Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didmus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon told them. And what Simon says goes. And they said, we will go with you. So they all went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in a boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish you have just caught. So Simon climbed back on the boat, he dragged the net ashore and it was full of large fish. 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples, once he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he knew Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that that he was following them. This was the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. I like this little, this little end piece. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I don't want to stand in the way um, of the Lord and doing the work that he's doing in our hearts or I feel like he wants to do, so let me pray. Lord, thank you for the men and women that have gone before us that we can look at their testimony, Lord, um, the way they live their lives, the way they followed you. And God, the stories they wrote about you, I want to thank you, God, that we have all these things. And Lord, without your spirit, they're just words on a page. They mean nothing. 
But Lord, through your spirit, you animate these words and they speak to our very hearts. So tonight, Lord, I don't want to stand in the way of anything that you want to say. God, have your way. Speak what you want to speak. In your mighty name, amen. So I don't know, I read that entire chapter, so you've obviously got a feel for it. I don't know how you sort of felt as I was reading it. Sort of in the context of the larger story of John, it's a little disjointed. It, it, it feels like it's been sort of tacked on the end there. See, in 20, um, Matt went into this a couple of weeks ago. We saw the risen Lord. We saw him appear to Mary. We saw him appear to doubting Thomas. He showed the scars in his hands, the wounds on his side. And that sort of wrapped that chapter up saying, this is the purpose of the book, that you might believe in Jesus and that you might have life in his name. So it sort of feels like the book ends there, but flip a page over, we're in 21, all of a sudden the, the guys, they're out on a fishing trip, Jesus appears to them for a third time post-resurrection. It just seems like, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Some scholars think this could have been someone else that sort of writ, uh, wrote something later on, but the language is consistent, the style is consistent, the literary style, so we know that the authorship is the same. And we caught there at the end, it says, everything that if we did and wrote and um, spoke, well, particularly wrote in this instance, everything that Jesus did or he said, there wouldn't be enough room in all the books in the world to contain all the things that he did and the things that he said. So this little tacked on chapter, out of a plethora of information, there's obviously a purpose in it. See, John's purpose is that we might believe in Christ and that in that believing, we might find life in him. So we want to pay close attention to these words. There's an importance. He's chosen them well. He's put them together. And this just gives us, I guess, another little picture of who Christ is. And I think that's important for us tonight. And it was important for them back then. So the chapter opens. The seven disciples, they're all together. They've actually gone back to Tiberias. Um, the Sea of Galilee is there. You know, you've got to imagine that these last three to four weeks have been pretty full on for them. Each one of them, well, a lot of them even just, they, they left Jesus in his time of need. He's, he's their friend. They denied they even knew him. They scattered, scared for their lives. They saw him die, then they saw him raised to life, and then he's appeared, and now he's gone. They don't know where he is. They're trying to figure out, what does this mean for us? Where do we go now? And I was reading a lot of the scholarship and they say, potentially, this is actually the disciples being disobedient. They've they said, okay, that was the call. It's kind of different. And they're going back to their former way of life. But I, I don't think that's what it is. I sort of think it's just an innocent fishing trip. They're just there. Simon says, let's go for a fish. And they've all got the gear and they're ready to go. They've had a full on week. This has been a life changing experience for them. And it says they're out and they've been out there all night. They've been... We've got to remember that these guys are professionals. They are fishermen. Jesus called them from their vocation and said, come and follow me. So they know what they were doing. So they're there all night, probably throwing the net out this way, that way. They maybe even tried the side that Jesus told them earlier. We're not sure. But it says that they had no luck. As the sun's coming up, they've caught no fish. And they sort of look out there to the shore. And there's this mysterious figure. They don't recognize who he is. And this mysterious figure, they say they're about um, 90 yards out, I think it was. This mysterious figure calls out, guys, have you caught any fish? Sarcasm, maybe, I don't know. Probably not. 
And they say, no, we haven't caught any fish. And then this figure then comes and says, offers a suggestion. And I don't know about you guys. I don't know if it's just tradespeople or people who work with their hands. We're not great at taking advice. I could just imagine me ticking away, building something, and a customer coming up to me and be like, hey, you got no luck finding a stud in that wall? Let's go try this one. Like, I'm not going to go do that because I know what I'm doing, right? But there's something in this man's voice that compelled them to obey. I don't know if it was the tone of his voice, if there was an authority, if there was a weight, but they hear this man's voice and they do what he asked. It's compelling. And it says they let their nets down on the right-hand side and as they do that, immediately a huge influx of fish come. It says 153 large fish fill their nets. And then it hits, it twigs. It's Jesus. You see, the one that Jesus loved, he points out and says, that's Jesus. And Peter, it, he, it sort of twigs for him. And don't you think that's interesting? And I want to come back to this point, but it was actually, this, this voice came. There was an authority in the voice. They listened in obedience, and only then did they see who Jesus was. See, it's oftentimes that we actually have to take the step of obedience before clarity is given. Or as we take that step, we see who Jesus is and we run to him. So what are the disciples, how do they respond to Jesus? It says Peter, who was scantily clad, I don't know why you need to fish half naked, but he was. And he sees Christ and he sort of does the opposite thing. He puts his clothes on and he jumps in the water. There's nothing that can hold this man back from going to see Jesus. And I read that like him putting his clothes on um, is actually a sign of respect. If he's to meet his Lord, he's to be properly dressed. But in that moment, Peter's not thinking, is the water cold? Did I bring a spare pair of bonds or, or whatever he's thinking? He's not thinking any of that. He's like, I must get to this man. I know this man. I've journeyed with this man for three years. I know he is life. So for the life of him, he's out of the boat. It says the other disciples, they, they took their boat in, they followed behind. And again, I don't know if when we were reading that miracle, if you thought of another miracle, because if you did, A+. plus. But there's a very similar miracle that happens in Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read it to us because we're going to contrast the way that Peter responds to Jesus when the same miracle happens as to this miracle. So let me read Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, put out in deep water, so let's go out on the boat, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Same scenario, they've worked all night, they haven't caught a thing. But they were, they were compelled, they said, because you say so, we will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signalled the partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came, filled their boats so full that they began to sink. Listen to this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So were James, John, the sons of Zebedee, and Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. Don't you find that fascinating? Literally the same miracle. The boys have been at it all night. 
No luck, haven't caught a thing. Jesus comes, let your nets down. So it's the same Jesus. Jesus holds the same authority. He's had the same heart from the beginning. And we know on this side that Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be in the future. But different response from Peter. You see, in that first instance in Luke chapter 5, he had never met Jesus. Jesus comes and says, do this. There's this authority in his voice. There's a tone in his voice. He's compelled to listen. But as he sees the goodness of God, I guess he realizes his own sinfulness. And he sees a great chasm. And he's like, be gone. Go from me. I'm just a sinful man. I can't be in the same room as you. But in the second the second response, and think about the second response for a minute. Not three or four weeks ago, Peter, this man that we're talking about, denied he ever knew Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. So you can imagine that weighed on his heart. But in that moment when Jesus becomes clear, after that moment of obedience, instead of saying, I can't, I, I did all this stuff, he actually runs to him. Despite what was in between him, he says, I've got to get to this man. This is where I've seen life. This is where life is. I must get to this man. I liked it how Matt said a, a few weeks ago that it's almost as if they saw life moving. They say, if, if Jesus went to another room, there, there goes life. Isn't that so interesting? When they didn't know him, the response was to distance yourself. But after journeying with this man, seeing him raise Lazarus from the dead, seeing him restore sight, seeing him care for people, feed the multitudes, they've seen the Father's heart. They know that God is not pushing them away. In fact, God is inviting them in, so they run to him. That was just an incredible insight. That's what I've, I've, I've taken from that. So how does Jesus respond to his disciples? Peter's got there, presumably dripping wet. His disciples follow dry, and they come, and they, they come to the shore. And what does Jesus do? He invites the men to eat with him. He says, come, let me feed you. These are the men that left him in his time of need like a month ago, Max. These men denied him. These, these men actually left him to die and we know that he went to a cross and he was killed. And yet Jesus, and yet Jesus invites them and says, come, I'll feed you. And he provides for their needs. Now, there's a whole lot of things going in this, and we're sort of going to breeze through the next bit, then come to a bit of a response. So there's so much significance. We read there in, in Luke 5 that uh, Jesus calls them to be fisher of men. He said, you're no longer going to fish for fish, you're going to fish for people. And we know that John, is, he's a details guy. He puts in these random bits of information, like they were 90 yards from the shore, 153 fish. Now, I read, and I don't know about this, but I thought it was cool and it's worth saying. But Jerome, one of the church fathers, actually suggested this number, 153 fish that they caught. He suggests that there was only 153 species of fish known at the time. So when they're hauling in, Jesus says, let your nets down. They haul in 153 different species of fish. And we know that Greek, Greek um, the names of the places were Greek at the time. So there's this, this idea now, bear with me, because it was, oh, now I'm going to get make too convoluted, aren't I? But basically, right, Jesus says, you're going to be fishers of men, 150, all species. Jesus says, I don't want just a specific people group. I don't, don't want some, this person or this person, all people come to me. 
And when they come to shore, he actually says to Peter, he says, go get, get them and bring me the fish. So we're saying they're called to be fishers of men. And now post-resurrection, Jesus is renewing that mandate. He's clarifying that mandate. The disciples are to fish for the souls of men throughout the whole world, not just the Jews, but the entire world. They are to go to all men and they are to do this under the Lord's authority. Instead of laboring away, doing what they were doing, they had to listen to his voice and they had to be obedient and they had to go to the ends of the earth. Listen to this verse. I, I wanted to note this because this is just the inclusivity of God. This comes from Timothy 2. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Here Jesus is saying, bring me a catch. Bring me all different species. I want them. I want them. There's no chasm between us. You don't have to respond by saying, be gone from me. I want you. Come, come. And we see Peter being restored. And, and we, we mentioned that previously he had denied Jesus three times. In this we see him affirming his love for Jesus three times. And Jesus reiterates the mission. It's not just about catching the fish, it's tend the flock, take care of my sheep. And Peter starts looking around, what about him, what about him? And Jesus reminds him that our fates are up to the Lord. We don't need to look to the right or to the left. We don't need to be concerned about what other people do or don't get. And even if it's tough where Jesus is calling us, regardless, he says to Peter, you must follow me. So I wanted to say that there's sort of three different places that we can be in tonight. And I think I know where I am. And I was going to explain those and maybe flesh them out and then give us an opportunity to, to pray. Because there's good news. The gospel is good news no matter where you're at. God's saying, come to me. He's not saying, be gone from me. He's inviting us in. And one of our favorite lines here is that Jesus is not holding any good thing back from us. God is not holding, withholding anything of himself back from us. So the first scenario is if you're in the boat going about the things that you're familiar with, see this was their vocation, they knew what they were doing, maybe become a bit complacent but it's a little, it's a little dry and maybe you're hearing um, this voice and it's a persistent voice and it's in line with the character of God, but you're, you're avoiding that and saying, no, I'll just keep ticking along here. It's going to keep ticking along here. The response in that is, listen to him and be obedient to him. And just like the disciples, in that moment of obedience, you'll gain a new clarity of who Christ is. Because we know that the disciples, they'd been with him for three plus years. They, they didn't even recognize who he was until they took that step. And then Jesus all of a sudden became clearer than ever and they ran after him. So if, if, if you're in that boat, you're just ticking along and you're not hear, heeding that voice and there's something that continually cropping up, the response is to go do that thing. Be obedient to Jesus, follow him. The second response is if you're like Peter in the Luke 5 story. Maybe you're so caught up in, in, in your own goodness or your own badness or whatever it may be that you sort of miss the point of it all and, and you want to distance yourself from God because you're not good enough to come before a mighty God. 
You're not good enough to come before this God that provides for your needs. I know I've hung out in this camp for a, a long time. It's been like, I can't because, you know, I did this. And can you imagine Peter's, Peter's thoughts? There in, in, in that final chapter, all that stuff he'd done, left his friend there to die, but he wasn't focused on what he had done or what he hadn't done. He was focused on Jesus. And there's good news in that. Jesus is calling you in. He's not cutting you off. He's not saying, be gone from me. In fact, he's inviting us and saying, come and eat. Come and, come and see and taste that the Lord is good. And then you could be in that third camp. Peter in the John 21 story. Someone who's spent time with Jesus, who knows Jesus, who's seen him provide for the, for the least of these And you recognize the call and you follow the call. And that call leads to beautiful things, to, to come in the, under the care of our Savior, to come under the care and the provision of Jesus Christ. So in all these things, Jesus is both, he's, he's the means to do it, but he's also the end. We do it through him with his strength and we get more of him because life is found in this man. There is no such thing. As life outside of Christ, there is no such thing. So I don't know which camp you're in there tonight, but I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing together. But there's good news. There's good news no matter what camp you're in. Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today, as he is in the future. And he is never saying, depart from me, sinful man. You remember that story where the woman is caught in adultery and she's brought before Jesus. And he says... Let him without sin cast the first stone. And Dan said this thing that has stuck with me forever and a day. It says, in that moment, Jesus displays that if you truly had no sin, you would have the right to stone that person. But if you truly had no sin, you wouldn't want to. So this woman is caught and Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. We've had this idea that God is angry at us. He is not angry at us. He just wants us. He just wants us. I know there's something in this. I know I've been thinking about it all week. I don't know what to do for a response, but I'm just going to pray. And I pray that your heart responds to wherever you're at. Whatever you need to do, whether it's heed the call, be obedient. Whether it's to dive out of the boat, run to him when you're uncertain, whether it's just to spend time with him, become familiar with him so you can recognize him when this good thing comes and then clarity comes in our obedience. So let me pray for us. Jesus, you are so good to us. Lord, you're so kind to us, Lord, despite where we've been, despite where we're at, you don't disqualify us. In fact, you say, come. Come, all you who are weary and heavy burdened with the weight of the world or the weight of your own sin, come and rest in my goodness. And Lord, we're praying tonight that we would respond and, and from this moment forward, we would be a people that heed the word. Maybe we don't know where this word is coming from. It's a mysterious figure in the distance 
But Lord, we are compelled to obey because this word keeps coming and it's for our good. And Lord, we're praying that we do not deliberate any longer, that we step forward in obedience. And Lord, in that obedience, we'll, we will see who you are and God, we will run to you. Lord, if we're too familiar in our circumstances and, you know, we've just been plodding away doing the same thing, expecting the fish to jump in the boat, God, would we heed the call? Lord, would we know your goodness in the land of the living? God, would we stop using our own sinfulness or maybe our own goodness as an excuse not to run to you? God, because this world, we need you. We need your goodness, Father. This world needs you. People need to know that the church isn't going to fall in on them if they walk through the door. God, you're not holding any good thing back from us. You want us to come under your care, to be under your wing of protection. And whatever that looks like for us, God, would we just deliberate no longer? Would we move forward in obedience? gain clarity, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and through our active believing, know what it is to live life, life abundant. Amen. Jesus, a name above every other.